Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson uh, coming to you on a Tuesday. We have Mailbag Monday pushed just a, a little bit, but we've still got a mailbag for you. We've got some headlines to get to. We've got another edition of the book club. We have sprayed down all of our microphones in our studios. Um, Barton, Tom, gentlemen, how, how are we doing here on this Tuesday morning? Good. Tom? Good. Just, uh, you know... Staying more than six feet away from any athlete in a locker room. Don't don't want to don't want to get anybody sick. Good, good. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're 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 good. We're we got a little coronavirus phobia in the household that we're that we're managing. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. You know, I'm uh, I'm coming to you fresh, li- li- little hungover. From uh, we got some some twenty four seven sports publishers visiting this week and did a little Broadway entertaining last night, but you know, not nothing that's going to keep me from from playing full speed today. Listen, it's not it's not drinking. What it is is coronavirus prevention. That's right. Because alcohol kills the virus. I tell you what, there wasn't anybody out last night worried about the coronavirus. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right, so uh, was this a crowd that was coming to Nashville expecting to go? Because when you say Broadway, you're talking about like honky-tonking, right? No doubt. Okay. Were they coming uh, not knowing what to expect and you wanted to show them the town? Or were they coming wanting to come back for seconds after having done the uh, the Broadway experience before? Right, the latter. Yeah, like they know, like they <laughs> yes, came yes. fully anticipating like a, a certain level of fun. And so, you know, if, if it didn't deliver, then it's kind of a poor reflection on on me and the, the, the home office. So uh, we had to deliver the to, to the expectations. So, we, you know, um, stays front a little bit, heard some honky talking. Uh, it was good. Hi, some good high fiving, some clapping. Maybe like I, I like if, if we're stage front, I just sort of just zone in on the drummer and just show them that I'm loving it, you know? Right, just sort of just just let them know like you you also got a little bit of drumming in your repertoire too, like you got a little rhythm, a little you know hands up. I appreciate of- you. I'm hitting it on the snare. I am on beat with you right now with my hands. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. Got, it's 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 when you when you roll in with like a, a group of twenty four seven pubs into a bar, like it, it it we're all shapes and sizes. We we are we we run the spectrum of 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 the male race and so uh i'm not saying that they're necessarily excited to see us but um we're well representative of all sorts and kinds uh a couple headlines before we jump on into the mailbag the first of which a little bit of transfer news within the big 10 uh former indiana quarterback peyton ramsey who we have you know the the indiana uh, offense last season, I think, got some some compliments from us. Peyton Ramsey was not the starting quarterback; he was uh, in and out of the lineup. But I, I think that Peyton Ramsey just, you know, my my instant 
uh, take, you know, you, you sort of pull out the Peyton Ramsey card. And I think that I've just got, I've got a positive grade. I don't know if it's an overwhelming positive, overwhelmingly positive grade, but a positive grade, no doubt. He is going to be uh, taking his talents to Evanston. He will be playing for Northwestern. Now we've got, you know, the successor to Clayton Thorson, Hunter Johnson, didn't, didn't quite work out. Do you believe, uh, let's go Tom first. Tom, do you believe that Peyton Ramsey is going to be a significant upgrade to the quarterback position from what Northwestern has had in the last couple years? I don't know if I would go significant. I think that what we're seeing with Ramsey is what we see with a lot of grad transfers where suddenly, as soon as, like I've, we've, I've mentioned before, as soon as they hit the transfer market, they become, you know, you can add an extra star to their rating in sure. the minds of of fans. I think Peyton Ramsey was a solid quarterback last year for Indiana. You know, I, I saw a lot of people mention how he was fifth in the conference in passing efficiency rating, which, yeah, that's top half, but he was fifth <laughs> of 13. So, okay, you're 62nd percentile. But still, I mean, this is a dude he completed 68% of his passes last year. He didn't throw a ton. He only had 300 attempts, but he had 13 touchdowns, five interceptions, averaged over eight yards an attempt, and while he is not a world beater, I think that when you look at it in the context of what Northwestern was dealing with at quarterback and with Pat Fitzgerald, because, you know, their spring practice started like over a week ago. So in the recent weeks, Pat Fitzgerald's been doing a lot of media talking and he has been very open about uh, like, hey, we are very much in the market for a grad transfer quarterback. You know, we're not. He hasn't seemed all that enthusiastic about what he has in that quarterback room. And based on what you saw from that team last year, it's easy to understand why. So this isn't a surprise. I think that Peyton Ramsey, while he's not going to come in and be like a dude competing for a Heisman or first team all conference I think that he is definitely an upgrade on what Northwestern has. So therefore he raises the floor just from walking onto that, you know, onto that field with that team. I think they are a better offense. It's just, I don't think he's like some sort of, he's, he's not Justin Fields or like a Jamie Newman kind of transfer or anything in that matter. He's just, he's going to make that offense a little more competent. And it's also important to remember too, they've got a new offensive coordinator. They got rid of Mick McCall. Mike Bajacking is now there calling the plays. So He's probably a better fit for – he's probably more of a fit of what Jackie was looking for in his quarterbacks. And, you know, that's a good thing for them because they do – that offense was just awful last year. It was like – you know, we I've made fun of Northwestern offense when Clayton Thorson was there. We, we, we've talked about it here. You know, Barton can't believe Clayton Thorson wasn't the first pick in the draft. But <laughs> that Northwestern offense was – plotting with Thorson and last year with all the different quarterbacks and all the different injuries, it was just plain like stinky, stinky, bad high school team bad. So I think that we're going to see an improved Northwestern offense at a minimum with Peyton Ramsey. Listen, uh, Peyton Ramsey, as long as he has two working legs, a working arm, like this is a dramatic upgrade from what Northwestern had. I'm not I'm not going to act like Peyton Ramsey is a, is a Heisman Trophy candidate, but this will be dramatically better than what they had. Northwestern was dead last in the country in passer rating. So bad. Northwestern, in terms of passing yards per game, they were 126th in the country. You know who were the were the, the four teams? <laughs> I can guess. Than them? Option, I can guess. Option teams? Georgia Southern. Yes. Navy. Yes. Army. Yes. 
And f- either Air Force or Kentucky, because Kentucky didn't throw a pass for like the last two months of the season. Yes, the team that was playing a, a wide receiver at quarterback. Yeah. Kentucky. Those are the four that were worse than them in, in passing yards per game. At six touchdowns to 15 interceptions. They completed 50% of the passes. They were dead last in the country in yards per attempt. 4.5 yards per passing so attempt. <laughs> like, like, this is going to be... This is going to be a, a a brave new world with Northwestern football with Peyton Ramsey at quarterback. Uh, this is, you know, I like, yeah, so this is going to be, um, I'm, because I'm, Pat Fitzgerald is a good coach and Northwestern is typically a good team. And for whatever reason, those quarterbacks were awful. And uh, I think they got a chance this year to, to improve a lot. To add to that, Barton, you mentioned that they were last in the country in passing efficiency. What they had an efficiency of eighty-four point five three. The next lowest was Old Dominion at ninety-nine point five six. They yeah. were full fifteen points behind the next worst team. It was it, it was it, I, that was a historically bad year throwing the football. Yes, I'm just I'm just cu- I'm just sort of curious now. Like I mean, so the year prior, Rutgers. Was uh, <laughs> that was the Art Sitkowski yes. year? Yeah, where I mean, just where it was just like picks, like three pick sixes a game. They threw five touchdowns to twenty two interceptions uh, in twenty sixteen for that Syracuse team. Um, you so Army in twenty sixteen. You know that's that's understandable. Um, I mean, that's th- this would be kind of enjoyable, probably, to just go through and compare the worst passing seasons of all time. But Northwestern certainly deserves a place on that mantle. Now, uh, I do not think Peyton Ramsey will be the eligible. I, you're right. He's probably not a Heisman Trophy winner. But the good news for Peyton Ramsey is that the Big Ten has like 17 awards that they give out at the end of the year. So will he be eligible for the Thompson Randall L newcomer of the year named after Minnesota's Daryl Thompson and Indiana's Antoine Randall L? Maybe. Is that a thing? Yes, that is. <laughs> oh, have you never gone through like the full... Oh, it's amazing. The Graham George Offensive Player of the Year, the Nagurski Woodson Defensive Player of the Year, the Greasy Breeze Quarterback of the Year, the Amici. I mean, I can keep going. They've got awards for every single position on the field. And they're so. all named after two people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they have so many awards and yet they still felt the need to put two names in each. That is just how deep and rich the history of the big 10 conference is. Well, remember the coach of the year is actually named for three because it is the Dave McLean slash Hayes Schembechler coach of the year award. My bad. Originally dedicated in honor of former Wisconsin coach, Dave McLean. Then also both Bo Schembechler, Bo Schembechler, and Woody Hayes. So uh, no, probably not in the Heisman Trophy, Peyton Ramsey, but uh, the good news is in the Big Ten, there's an award for you somewhere. Uh, speak, staying in the Big Ten, Ohio State's uh, recruiting, oh, excuse me, Ohio State's assistant pool has been beefed up just a little bit. And now as we're starting to look ahead to the 2020 season, you know, all the all the assistant coaching carousel has sort of calmed a little bit more on that in the, uh, in the mailbag. But the headline for the week is that um, you know, it used to be the the million dollar coordinator, right? The million whoever the the best coordinators in the country were making a million dollars, and then we've got the the two million dollar coordinator. Well, right now the Ohio State Buckeyes, uh, you know, one of the top elite blue blood. Like nobody's ever argued about their blue blood status, but uh, Ohio State will have four assistants making at least one million dollars next season. The 
the list of assistants. Let's see. Um, last it year is um, yeah, Kevin Wilson, Larry Johnson, uh, what's his name, Greg Madison, and Kerry Coombs. Mm. I so look the yeah. What were you gonna say? Co- well, co-defensive coordinators, offensive coordinator, and defensive line coach. Is this significant in a like Ryan Day trying to maintain, trying to keep everybody together after Ohio State has been one of the places of uh, really massive turnover over the last couple of seasons? You know, Jeff Halfley recently uh, leaving. You know, we saw uh, Alex Grinch leave after a very short stay. The the turnover at Ohio State, Ohio State, you know, plucking from Michigan a little bit recently too. Do you think that this is perhaps? trying to solidify uh, a group that is going to be able to stay together for a couple of seasons? Or is this uh, not a non-headline, but a la- the latest example of, of the rising cost of business for coaching salaries in college football? I think it's rising cost of business. I think it's what a big-time program is allotted for their assistance. And it's, it's also... You know, it's it's, it's a little bit rep- – yeah, they got a couple million-dollar coordinators, but they don't have a two-and-a-half million-dollar coordinator. They don't have a two-million-dollar coordinator. They got They're a million-dollar coordinator. Yeah, you know, so – And our beloved, good, our beloved Nick Marotti, I saw, is making like eight hundred grand. Oh, yeah, because well you're – well, Yeah, when you're spending all the money on the strength coach and the director of player personnel, then you got to spread it all around. So they went in – Ohio State went into an auction draft, and instead of spending all of their money on, like, Todd Gurley, they just got a whole bunch of mid-level guys. Right. Yeah, I got it's it. It's working. It's a it, – Mid-level million-dollar coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's funny because you talked about how first there were, like, the million-dollar coordinators, and what was that, like, a year ago? I mean, it's – it's escalating quickly. Yeah, it's, it really has. I remember just this was pro, I would guess this was not long ago. I remember talking to a coach and and him being like, "Yeah, you know, my big thing is I wanted to be a million dollar coordinator." Like not the money of it, but just I think it was sort of the status of it. Like he just wanted to be a million dollar coordinator. Um and now that's like you better have be a million dollar coordinator if you're at a like a major program. Like if you're not, then you're getting disrespect, you're getting screwed. <laughs> like so, it's very much become the standard. And uh, now, you know, Ohio State's breaking the. Because I think the biggest story, the biggest to me, um, of 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 all those names. I mean, yeah, you got a couple coordinators making a million bucks. That standard, um, but that speaks to how important Larry Johnson is for Ohio State, their defensive line coach. Um, that he's a million dollar coach despite not being a coordinator that 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 t- that says a lot about um, how he's viewed in that building and in that program and uh, and and finally from headlines from the the week and the weekend it was a massive weekend for Mac Brown and the North Carolina recruiting efforts picking up a couple uh, huge commitments including one from quarterback Drake May a four-star who was previously committed to Alabama. He is from Myers Park in Charlotte. Uh, Almost all of these players at the top of the recruiting class right now from Rocky Mount, North Carolina, from Monroe, North Carolina. Uh, Right now, the North Carolina Tar Heels, with their nine commitments in the 2021 cycle, rank number four nationally. Uh, Barton, what this mean? 
I, th- I think it means a lot. I mean, for first of all, Drake May is is l- legit, like a really elite quarterback prospect. Uh, he was committed to Alabama. That was going to be tough to to hang on to because he is an elite quarterback prospect, and Bryce Young's about to be uh, a splashy freshman. That's going to be a little bit of a deterrent for Bama to get some instant impact quarterback. And so I think it's huge that North Carolina, A, landed him, but B, I mean, they they have a succession plan now from Sam Howell to Drake May, and they have a kid named Jacoby Criswell in between those two that's pretty good himself. And when you look at Clemson's rise in the ACC, it's pretty quarterback-driven, and – they're recruiting really well at other positions as well, um, and including defensive line, which is another spot that is, is going to be able to sort of help turn your program around or, or get you heading in the right direction. So I think this is, I think this is a, a really big story. The way, not, not just these commits specifically, but just the way North Carolina is recruiting generally. I, it, they right now, North Carolina looks like, based on recruiting trajectory, the best contender in the ACC to sort of emerge as a as a team and go head to head with Clemson. Beyond the Miamis and the Florida States, I, I I think I think North Carolina is 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 the team to watch right now in that conference. You know who I feel bad for? Yeah, Caleb Hood. Because when I look at North Carolina's 2021 class, there's nine players in it. He's the only one that's not a four-star. <laughs> he's just, just you know, Barton, he's one of those lowly three-stars who nobody believes in. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, poor, you know, it's high three-star. Yeah, the poor guy. He's only one of the top 700 players in the country. But yeah. it's... Like, yeah, I, it's kind of weird because I was looking at the 24-7, you know, team football rankings for the 2021 20, class. And like you mentioned, Chip, North Carolina is currently fourth in the country. And you see North Carolina ranked that high in the recruiting rankings. And you, you think, oh, I accidentally clicked on the basketball one. And then it's like, no, wait, this is this is really football. This is strange because, I mean, it's Ohio State, Florida, Clemson, North Carolina, and then Notre Dame, Miami. <laughs> so it's, yeah, this is, it's pretty ridiculous that what Mac's been able to do at North Carolina. And it's kind of reminiscent of what Butch Davis was doing while he was there, but he was never recruiting this well. Correct. Well, and there's at times he had a couple of splash. He, I mean, he had a couple of splash individual signees and some classes. I mean, not top five classes, but like the Marvin Austin class I remember was a huge one. Uh, But I think early in the process uh, you can, you could have recruiting rankings that are misleading uh, just by racking up a bunch of commits and, and, and having more numbers than everyone else. But this is, this is not a misleading, highly rated class by North Carolina. This is, these, these are legit big time players that are committed. I mean, barring decommits, this is a class that's going to be like at least in the top 20 when it's all said and done the way things are going. Yeah, but I and I, I think it's trending towards being a top ten kind of class. Yeah. Um, if not, you know, who knows how high it could go. In the in sort of the interest of like the present, because obviously the the recruiting is good signs overall, but what it's going to do is it's going to put expectations on North Carolina in year two of Mac Brown, where I think the emergence of Sam Howe 
and the way that team played, you know, they finished the year by just absolutely shredding Temple in the bowl game. You, you're going in, you're going to be showing up at the ACC Media Day, and no one knows who to pick in the ACC Coastal Division. They've had seven different winners in the last seven years. And so with no obvious front runner in that division, you are going to latch on to Sam Howell, who is the best quarterback in that conference, not named Trevor Lawrence. You're going to latch on to Mac Brown, the Hall of Fame coach, and all of this hype that has been built in particular on the recruiting trail that, you know, that is going to have no impact on the actual team in 2020. And and again, that's where uh, I think that it's a fantastic test of what Mac Brown has been able to do sort of within that building and that coaching staff within that culture, because it's one thing to come in and generate some energy for a football team that has just been winning, going two and nine, three and nine, three and nine, two and nine, you know, eight and five, even when they had uh, Tom's best friend, Mitch Trubisky on the, in the lineup, like they, they have, they had underperformed uh, for a couple years in a row. And so to, to have that sort of resurgence immediately, that's one thing, but immediately there's going to be a lot of expectations. There's going to be expectations, Barton, that they are going to play Clemson in the ACC championship game and, and get another crack at the team that they were a two-point conversion away from potentially knocking off. And, you know, I think that it is two very different um, – it's it's very different to, to play – uh, when you don't have those kinds of expectations all around you all summer coming into the season, and then when you do, and if the expectation is a Coastal Division championship, then it's going to be fascinating to see the Tar Heels um, step into that spot, which is not one that we've been real familiar with putting North Carolina in. Well, not only that, but but like so the expectations are, are a game changer too. But like, and this Mac Brown thing has been best case scenario from the jump. Like it's yeah. all gone. As, as 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 swimmingly as possible as we could have imagined, but the beauty of the Mac Brown experiment to this point has been this sort of new Mac Brown, more enjoying the moment and just going to be out here and have fun, and he's not going to live and die with every win and loss, and he's going to and, and you know enjoy the locker room and dance and all that stuff, and and to your point now, like there there's going to begin to become like they're going to be some expectations lumped on their shoulders and the, the, you know, the losses might hurt that much more and, and he might be stressed that much more. And it's going to be just interesting to see how he handles it when he's not this, uh, I don't know, underdog story all of a sudden, like he's back to being a, uh, sort of near the top of the heap and not that they're there yet, but, but it appears they're trending that way. And then, you know, then things get, things get tough. Coming Can't up. wait to fade oh. the Tar Heels in 2020. <laughs> You're going to be looking at like ACC Coastal Division prices. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. If the Tar Heels get surged, that probably means there's an opportunity. Miami? Oh, I know where I'm going. Nope. Pittsburgh? Nope. Pittsburgh returns 17 starters from last year. Good for them. <laughs> it's not going to be your beloved Who's. They lost too much. Nope. Is it Virginia Tech? Yep. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't want to go on a double date with Virginia Tech. They fight too much. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> as soon as Virginia Tech made the switch to Hooker, they won six of their last nine, and the three losses were a one-point loss on the road to Notre Dame, the nine-point loss on the road to Virginia in a rivalry game, which they were in it the whole time. They lost late in the fourth quarter, and the bowl game lost to Kentucky, which was, again, on the final play of the game. So, 
and they've got a ton, ton of returning players themselves. So Tom's our, Tom's driving that hokey bandwagon in 2020 while everybody else is going to be picking the heels. All right. Good luck. Uh, coming up on the other side, your questions, our answers, and Tom steps to the front in another edition of the Cover 3 Book Club next Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies, if there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal. Hey guys, this is Brian Campbell, and along with Luke Thomas, we are the hosts of Morning Combat, your one-stop shop for all things combat sports. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we'll hit you up with a brand new episode looking at the biggest headlines in boxing, mixed martial arts, and so much more. That's not to mention bonus content every Tuesday and Thursday, featuring interviews with the biggest names, dissected fight breakdowns, and even a little ridiculousness from time to time. We surely take the fight game seriously, but never ourselves, so why not keep Give us a try for all your combat needs before and after the big fights. It's Morning Combat. Download and subscribe today wherever you consume fine audio. Okay, going to start the mailbag with uh, it, it. It's a question, but it's also a suggestion, and we are are going to carry this forward. It will be um, part of an off season activity that we will carry on through the season. All right, I'll, I'll stop explaining. This is from Che Harrington. And uh, I absolutely loved it. All right. Love the show. Have been listening since September. I love how y'all delve into Power 5 and also Group of 5, not just Bama, Clemson, Ohio State. Hey, where's our Georgia Bulldogs? Uh, (laughs) Question. Barton, Tom, and Chip. In light of your recent conversion to a pro UGA podcast, it got me thinking about a 2020 season challenge. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, Each of you must select a group of five program or a universally agreed upon bottom tier P5 program and make that your program for the season, starting from spring brawl all the way through the bowl season. You research the roster, you scout the best offensive and defensive players, and generally just embrace your new program. You go to bat for them on the pod, you bet their games during the locks episodes, and live and die each week on your team's performance. You're free to choose any you can free to use any criteria when it comes to selecting the team. Would love for y'all to share your team and why how you selected the team. Happy choosing. I love it. Yeah, right? I mean, isn't this an awesome idea? It is. I mean, it's something I kind of already do naturally, but I I I will gladly just choose one. <laughs> but like I've already started because we talked about this before we recorded. I've already started doing some research and I've got to try to figure out do I want it to be like a, a, a group of five team that I've kind of already have been, a soft like, spot for? Yeah. Or do I want to try to find a new one? Or does Illinois count if we're using bottom tier power <laughs> five programs? Because I feel like I, I feel like I'm already there. So that would be a little too easy. So I probably shouldn't do that. 
But so I'm, I'm, I've already started trying to figure out who I want. So yeah, I love this idea. Uh, who wants to go first? Oh, are we go ahead? Are we going to lay them out? Right are we now? doing it now? Oh, what do you? How long do you need to? I got my team. Oh, how long well, do you guys need to research this thing? Listen, you know, maybe you want to marry her twenty minutes after meeting her, but I'd like to take her out on a second. Okay, date. so we're going to go through. So what's what is your um, what is your vetting process going to be in picking your teams? Well, the to uh, start with, I'm I'm going to not pick a team that I already spend too much time pumping up because I, the one thing that I think could be a real addition to this activity is that it's going to spotlight teams and schools that might not already get mentioned. Right. Especially if we, like, I'm, I'm comfortable taking this to group of five because that's a little bit more challenging and that lets us flex our depth a little bit more. And I'm not, like, I, for example, have ruled out in my mind taking ECU or app state. Because those are two programs that I'm just sort of naturally inclined to follow, mention, favor. I know we've got a lot of App State listeners here on the podcast. I, I've got a lot of friends that are graduates uh, of both ECU and App State. And so I, I know that when I'm trying to do my initial scouting, I am taking those teams and I'm sort of putting them in a different bucket because I, I already kind of have them as one of my teams. And so I'm trying to push myself a little bit further outside of my comfort zone. For me, okay. I'm just trying to figure out kind of, yeah, along the same lines as Chip. I don't want to do a team that I've already been kind of championing, but I also, I'm looking for a team and trying to figure out, A, like I don't want it to be a team that's already really good because, you know, I, I love the underdog story and I want to be there for the rise. I don't want to just jump in at the top. B, I also want to find a team that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like debating, do I want to do like a Mac team or a Sunbelt team simply because they'll be playing a lot of their games on weeknights? So that way I can pay more attention to them. Whereas on Saturday, realistically with, you know, our jobs, if this is just, you know, like Chip brought up App State, like say App State's playing against Coastal Carolina on a Saturday afternoon during like LSU Georgia or something, I'm not really going to be able to pay much attention to App State, you know, that game as I have to for work related responsibilities. So I, I got a lot of things I'm trying to figure out. Okay. Well then, I'll uh, then I will. I guess if, I'll if you've got yours figured out, let's go. I mean, what's the? How long do you guys? How is this going to be like a four month process? No, you guys. I plan on doing my own version of the Bachelor for every <laughs> week. I am going to award um, footballs to certain teams and eliminate one team per week. I, I, we could do it that way. And then slowly narrow it down. Well, that's like the Tom Fernelli team of excellence. <laughs> I, I can tell you um, the I am considering uh, I'm, I'm I'm eyeing the Mountain West, and it's going to be really tough for me not to answer the I siren song. The I started my head coaching career at Cheshire High School. I think something similar to President McConnell's husband in Cheshire, Connecticut. I started as a Cheshire Ram, and now I'm a Colorado Ram, and I'm kind of excited to be a Ram. Because Rams are tough, and I want our program to be a tough program, but also, also a compassionate. compassionate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with that kind of emotional range of toughness and compassion, I'm really, really leaning towards Colorado State. And I was thinking Mountain West because Mountain West would put me in that like 
we would finish our Saturday night podcast and normally like the second half of the Mountain West CBS Sports Network game is on. So that would be like a nice, you know, play it out, get to on the recap pods, get to see how my squad is doing. But I'll be ready by next week. That's a good that's a good call. Doing pick you know, picking a squad you'll be able to watch late night, uh, depending on who's carrying the games. Uh okay. All right. I I, I Go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say, again, this is one of the teams I'm considering. I'm not making my choice, but like one of the factors I'm looking at, like I was thinking of Kent State, a MAC team who I'll get to see on weeknights later in the year. But if you look at Kent State's schedule next year, they open on the road at Penn State. Then they get Kennesaw State, which is a good right. SCS program. And then they've got consecutive road games against Kentucky and Alabama. <laughs> so it. It's like, is that the team I want to jump on who could be like 0-4 to start the year with half the team injured? But then you're just rooting because I, I you know, I would hope that if it's your squad, you're going to throw a lockdown on them. And I hope that that means you're rooting for 32-point <laughs> spreads. But yeah, see, these, this is just some of the stuff I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. All right. So All right. next week, we'll, we, will, uh, we will unveil our teams and we will start scouting their spring practices. Uh, I think... I think for some of these programs, I don't know how many spring practice updates are going to be available. We might have to actually call the coaches. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't for an interview, coach. This is just for me. I'm just trying to find this stuff out because I'm now a fan. Just a fan. Yeah, I'm your coach, biggest fan, just, coach. Not really calling as a, in a reporter's capacity. This is just I'm just a fan that want to want to hear how the how the squad's doing. Right. Exactly. All right. Uh, this next one, five o username five o three says, "Love the pod. Listen to every episode. As I am a CFB junkie. Great chemistry between the three of you guys. As a Pac-12 fan and CFB diehard, who would love to know the actual as the actual perception of the conference. Are we really worse than the ACC or Big Twelve in terms of the on-field product?" I know that's the national perspective, but top to bottom, I feel the Pac-12 is right there with them outside of Clemson, obviously. What are your guys' thoughts? Yes. Uh, the, okay. How, compare the Pac-12 to the ACC. I would just say that, you know, I do my ratings. All the math, math you know, the math and statistically based. And the, actually, the Pac-12 was better than the ACC last year by a significant margin. There you go. But it was it was worse than the other three by a significant margin as well. So I feel like last year the Pac-12 was definitely better than the ACC. But I also feel like last year was somewhat of an outlier season for the ACC and that the talent wise of the recruiting area and how those teams recruit. And we saw, you know, we mentioned North Carolina is now a top five team in recruiting rankings. I think it's a matter of time just based on resources before the ACC passes it up because the Pac-12 has been has has been documented in so many places is falling further and further behind from a resource standpoint not as far as talent and players just having the money to compete and like we have seen so many Pac-12 coaches leaving Pac-12 jobs for other Power 5 gigs in recent years unless they figure something out with their TV deal and they can get start getting more money or if they can even start caring, because I know that there are a lot of Pac-12 football fans, but the simple fact of the matter is, if you look at the numbers just based in our industry, Pac-12 schools, Pac-12 news of any kind does not do nearly the same amount of numbers as the ACC, the Big 12, the SEC, or the Big 10. There's just not as much interest. 
Yeah, that's inherently, unfortunately for the Pac-12, that's the biggest problem is is you, you live in a part of the country where you got some pretty cool other activities other than sitting there watching football. So, you know, congratulations on living in California. Uh, but the, those people in Mobile, Alabama, uh, you know, they spend a lot more time watching football than playing beach volleyball. And there's just, there's just not the fanaticism in the Pac-12 footprint that there is in these other conferences. And, uh, it's, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know how you overcome that. I don't know how you fix that. I, it, I mean, it can't be fixed. It, like, and it's not just the, you know, how they consume the content, what the television ratings are. I mean, how many empty Pac-12 stadiums did we see this year? A lot. There's, I mean, there are some program, there are some schools and some programs that have awesome student sections, great fan bases, but you know, like when, when you're looking at a UCLA football game and the Rose Bowl is just nothing but bleachers, like it, it will reflect differently on the product that's on the field. I think that the Pac-12 is interesting and competitive, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned the ACC or the Big Twelve here. the The ACC was down, but the Big Twelve, we also had that conversation at the end of the season which was you know it was really intriguing and it we we really couldn't separate a lot of those teams from the the middle of the conference trying to figure out who was going to get up and and challenge Oklahoma and and you know how how close to the bottom was that middle of the conference well maybe a little bit closer than it seemed and I think that the Pac-12 in some instances carries some of that same uh it's very intrig it's very intriguing it's very interesting the competition between some of those teams and in, in the middle of those divisions gets uh, very tough to call. We, we're out here picking almost every single one of these games, or at least trying to make picks against the spread, and and it's fun. Like there's there's a little bit of a rush for the uncertainty, but the problem is when you're talking about perception in college football, you you really need number one to have teams that are competing for national championships. You need number two to have uh, a couple of teams that are viewed as uh, you know like top 25, top 30, sort of uh, big dog type teams. That's what the ACC was really lacking was a, a second uh, second team to run right there alongside of the Clemson Tigers. And I, I, I just kind of think that right now, the way the middle of the Pac-12 beats each other up, there's, there's just sort of a lack of that um, – a lack of that pop that would even fuel the national college football fan to be able to to jump onto it. And some people, I I'll tell you this, while we're on the topic, I don't know if I buy into the traditional line of thinking that quote college football is better when USC is good. Can you change my mind? I think it's better in that USC is a traditional power and of the Pac-12 schools with like you know history and fan bases, when USC is good, like a lot of teams in Los Angeles, there's a lot of support for it. So I think that does improve in that whole kind of rising tide lifts all boats manner. I don't think it really makes the sport better. What do you think, yeah, Bart? I, mean, I, uh, I find myself. I mean, USC's been good, so like I guess I'm I'm not I'm not like 
super discouraged by USC not being great right now. I kind of been enjoying a little bit of the Oregon resurgence. I'm enjoying the idea that maybe an Arizona State can rise up. Like I don't, I don't. The landscape of the Pac-12 doesn't disrupt my. Not just. I mean, it, like I don't think I'd enjoy college football more if it was different. I, I think that there are some teams that I'm ready to rise up. Like I'm ready for Miami to get good again. I think that would be fun. Uh, you know, if USC is down a couple more years, it doesn't bother me if they get back up. Good for them. Uh, I'm indifferent a little bit, but I, I, I also, th- but I do think that yes, like the Pac-12, the uh, a rising USC tide lifts all boats in the Pac-12. Absolutely, because the USC has a national championship ceiling, and not every team in that conference does at this point. Um, but I also think sort of speaking to our initial point, it's like the play, the level of play in the PAC 12, I think is, is not really the problem as much as the other circumstances surrounding the, the economics of the PAC 12 and the the, broadcasting and when the the games are on and what channels the games are on that sort of stuff, all that stuff, like to, to further, like I, this is basketball, but you, you saw the thing yesterday. Like the Pac-12 college basketball tournament starts this week, like every other conference, and their top teams are all playing on the Pac-12 network. Whereas the only team in their tournament that is guaranteed to be on a national station the, for every game it plays, if they Bobby Hurley <laughs> is yeah, is Bobby Hurley at Arizona State, the number three seed. So it's there's there's. There's problems with distribution for the games, for their sports, and there's also just some leadership problems of not really thinking it through and figuring out how to solve some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, the, the quality on the f- field, the talent level of the the execution, uh, maybe not talent level, because talent level is a, a little bit shifted elsewhere away from the Pac-12, at least in terms of raw talent and high school talent, but the execution and the quality of play of the players that are out there is not that much, like is not significantly down from the other Power 5 conferences. But when your question, as, uh, as 503 said, is the perception, the perception is absolutely that they are operating on a tier below the ACC and the Big 12. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Trent, a.k.a. Double Down, asks, uh, Michigan, Auburn, or Texas? Michigan, Auburn, or Texas? Two-part question. Which position is open first, and which program would you want to run? Which one's open first? I don't know. I I lean towards Auburn just because I feel like one – eight and four season could be the end of Gus at any time. Right. Because that's just the way it always seems to go. But as far as which one I would want to run, I'm going to say Texas. Cause then at least I'm just living in Austin. And while Ann Arbor is wonderful, it still has a winter. <laughs> Barton. Uh, which, which job is open first? That's a really interesting question. Um, I would say, Probably the the smartest money is probably Auburn, but Te- I lean that Gus Malzahn outlasts both those other guys somehow. I just think he's going to keep hanging around, 
and I and I feel like Tom Herman from a personality standpoint is abrasive enough. Yeah. And there's a little bit of more of a uh, there's there's some more swings emotionally and otherwise in terms of like how he handles the the the, the whole program there that I could see things just sort of if they go south they could go really south. Um, so we're I think we're a little bit of a crossroads this year with Texas. Um, so I don't know maybe maybe Texas would be my pick for um, first open. In terms of which one I would want to run, I think that there's something appealing about that Auburn job. Wow. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It's it's certainly a challenging job. And you have to be okay with being on the hot seat every year uh, because you're playing against Nick Saban. And when you got to play against Nick Saban then, and you're compared against Nick Saban, you're usually – going to be on the, the 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 low end of that and so that's what your job is is, is is measured against and you got a chance to get fired every year but i just think hey i think that'd be a, it's a fun team to, to root for i imagine because of the sort of this the the way they can kind of catch fire and 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 go on these little runs and, and have these really good teams and how they're still every time that iron bowl like they're always a threat to beat alabama no matter how good alabama is I just think that sort of being kind of the uh, Auburn fans make take take um, offense to this, but almost being like the underdog in your own state a little bit, but being very capable of winning the state. And when you're good, you got a chance to win a national championship. I don't know. I just think there's something something could be fun about being in that Auburn position. If I ran the Michigan program, I would be fired amidst NCAA investigations in under three years. <laughs> if I ran, uh, yeah, I think that I would go Texas is what I would run a run. And then my, I like as, as a little bit of mixture, my thought here was Auburn might be the leader in the odds makers eyes, but I think right. that Texas is the value play and the smart That's- money because of how quickly <laughs> I mean this is the guy like let's not forget um let's not forget the the choke uh the choke at Drew Locke in the Texas Bowl right right yeah right let's let's, let's not forget uh the the Tom the Tom Herman um the how quickly he can he can rise and fall so uh oh and he has a suggestion uh the book club suggestion Double Whammy by Carl, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing this, Heisen said it's mm. Southern Bass Fishing Fun. So you, A Southern Bass Fishing book, huh? A Southern Bass Fishing book. What's what wrong with Northern Bass? <laughs> Double Whammy. I'm interested, I'm, I'm interested if that book is like lessons learned through bass fishing or like, you know, is, is bass fishing like a metaphor for something or is it just pure, just stories about fishing most activities that involve men being by themselves get turned into books about how they are allegories for life right golf you want, fishing you want, hunting do you want me to read the amazon paragraph on it yeah sure yes rj decker star tenant of the local trailer park in neophyte private eye is fishing for a killer 
Thanks to a sportsman scam that's anything but sportsmanlike, there's a body floating in Coon Bog, Florida. I am interested in a lot that's rotten in the murky waters of big stakes, largemouth bass tournaments. Here, Decker will team up with a half-blind, half-mad hermit with an appetite for roadkill, <laughs> dare to kiss his ex-wife while she's in bed with her new husband, and face deadly TV evangelists, dangerously seductive women, and a pistol-toting redneck with a pit bull on his arm. And here, his own life becomes part of the stakes. For while the double whammy is the lure, first prize is the most ingenious murder. Holy <laughs> So, So it's a, uh, it's a murder mystery. Yeah. How about that was not what I expected. No, not it's at all. Fiction. It's fiction. It's fiction. Yeah. All right, wow. Trent, aka Double Down. Wow. <laughs> that was a hell of a description of a book. What and a I, what a story. I will say this on Amazon: the mass market paperback version you could find for a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I need to. Uh, I feel like I need to go find this in a used bookstore in Sparta, North Carolina, for it to really have the kind of character in my hands that it's uh, <laughs> that's meant to have. Uh, all right, Chip, you, you you gotta um, you gotta bleep out my cuss word there. No, because leave it in. I, I so you know how I've 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 helped spread our pod to Australia, right? Well, I'm I'm helping our young demographic too. One of my buddies apparently. Uh, during bedtime every night, plays for his kids the Cover Three podcast. So Eleanor, Richard, Hale, Jack, get a good night's sleep, kids. Leave Sorry Daddy alone. Ah, uh, guys, I've got a uh, heck of a story for you. Then this is from the mailbag. Yeah, on I, I read this. So on on that note, okay. <clears throat> This is from, uh, oh, he didn't sign his name. He just said he's he's, he's Minnesota guy. Let's say Minnesota it's guy. IDFMMN. Okay. I've been a big show. I've been a big fan of the show and listen while I drive whenever. Well, through the time that I've been listening to the show, my nine-year-old son has been listening and becoming a fan of the show, and it's actually becoming pretty funny. I'm an alum of Minnesota and a fan of the program, and so are my kids. Well, I find out through other sources that my son, during fourth grade sharing time, has decided on multiple occasions to share the Cover 3 podcast. Suddenly, he is telling them about Service Academy Unders, locks, and being against Bowling Green, as well as the show being a pro-Bulldog podcast for both Georgia and Yale. He gets that it is a joke, but still loves saying it. He got really set off before the Illinois or Penn State games when Tom Fernelli called the golfer the Gophers the fraudulent Gophers. Since then, he has called him fraudulent Fernelli or fraudulent <laughs> Tom Fernelli. <laughs> Even at the end of the Penn State game, my son is yelling out, Tom Fernelli is a fraud to anyone who will listen. <laughs> <laughs> which got people laughing about a nine-year-old doing this action. He was even excited about the emergency podcasts after school, especially when Leach got hired at Mississippi State, and he is sitting in the back commenting about the pirate bringing the air raid to the SEC. I fully admit that my son is a homer, but he is in fourth grade, so I just let it go, but I truly appreciate it when we listen. 
Just wanted to let you know that you are getting a growing fan base at the elementary school level. Sorry for the long preamble, but here's my question. With the growth of quality coaches in the Big Ten West, where do you see the Gophers next season as well as beyond? At first, I didn't really understand Fleck, but I completely get him now and how he doesn't really fit all programs or recruits. He does fit here in Minnesota. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Fraudulent Fornelli. They're just a nine-year-old running around Minnesota yelling, Fraudulent Fornelli. That's fine. That's fine. I'm, I'll, meet me in Temecula, kid. Just, <laughs> <laughs> fraudulent Tom Fornelli. Fraudulent Tom Fornelli. Just, That's fine. Just, you know, whatever. Listen, I admitted I was wrong about the gopher, so get over it already. Come on. Uh, uh, so... We are a family. We are a worldwide podcast. We are a family podcast, and uh, and yeah, Barton, I will. I'll I'll make sure to go back in uh, in in post production and clean that up as well. As for uh, the question from our loyal listeners, I hope you're on the way to school or on the way home from school. I hope you had a good day. Where do we see the Gophers uh, in 2020 and beyond? Well, it'll. It's. I mean, they gotta. They replaced a pretty good offensive coordinator this year. Uh, Lost a pretty Kirk good Chiraca quarterback. Is, is off to Penn State, mm-hmm. um, and you know he's been the guy with PJ Fleck from since since Western Michigan. Uh, he actually was the wide receivers coach at Princeton back in the good old Barton Simmons era, um, and I, I think. That's going to be the biggest sort of question mark here. And, and there's been some turnover on the staff. Um, they've had some departures over the last couple of years. I think I, I, I got a hunch that P.J. Fleck is a hard guy to work for. He's very demanding. Um, but I think that works for his, his team for the, for the three or four years, four or five years they're on campus. They're on campus for – they had to be on campus for – Eight years, that might that might be tough to do, but for the for the four years you're getting PJ Fleck, man, you're getting all of them as a player, and I think that's part of the reason why they're successful. So I, I think that just because PJ Fleck is that good of a coach and that that dial in and detail oriented and all that stuff, it's going to be hard for me to ever like think that they're not going to be pretty competitive. Yeah, I, I think it depends on what your expectations are going to be going into next year. Like, I don't think Minnesota, you know, they went 11 and 2 last year, and I don't think they're going to fall off the map and go 5 and 7 and miss a bowl game next year. It's just, if you look at the history of the program, I think if you're expecting 10 win season after 10 win season, that's probably unrealistic because, I mean, they went 10 and 3 in 2003 under Glenn Mason, and last year was the first time they'd won 10 games in a season since. But and plus you got to look at their schedule. Last year, you know, from the East, they drew Rutgers, Maryland, and Penn State. Now, obviously, they won that Penn State game. But you were also in a West where everybody, you know, Wisconsin was still good, but other teams like Purdue was down. Northwestern had a really down season, and you have to expect programs like that are going to take at least a smaller step forward. And you got to think Nebraska might be taking a step forward, so it's going to be more, you know, competitive. But just even from the draw from the East standpoint, well, I said last year they had Rutgers, Maryland, and Penn State. This year they get Maryland again, but it's on the road. 
And the other two teams they get from the East are Michigan and Michigan State. Now, who knows what Michigan State's going to look like, but still, Michigan is a much more formidable opponent that you know they have the rivalry with. That they you don't have to tell Minnesota how difficult it is to beat Michigan. They've had plenty of problems doing it. So, when I look at their schedule this year, I think if you're being honest with yourself, this is probably a team that's going to be closer to eight and four than it's going to be to ten and two in the regular season, but. An eight and four season at Minnesota, I think, would be you know very good and something that you should be happy with. And I think that what PJ Fleck has done is he has shown he's able to he's going to be able to have a solid program at Minnesota. It's just the question is, will he be able to maintain it? Because with Fleck, we have seen him do this kind of thing before. But at Western Michigan, you know, he went from one and eleven to eight and five seasons, then went to thirteen and one, and then left for Minnesota. So we have to see if Fleck is not only capable of building a program up and getting it to a higher level than it's used to being at, but can he maintain it? And that's going to be the wild card that I'm looking at going forward is he's obviously energetic. He brings a ton of energy. He has revitalized that program. He's got people more excited about it than they have been for a long time. It's just if they start waning off and they're going eight and four and seven and five and having those kind of good seasons but not great seasons – does that energy start to grate on not only other coaches but the fan base? That's what I'm. I, why would I want to see going in the long term? Are you guys all in on the uh, the grow and the bamboo themes? Have you guys seen this? Uh, no. Uh, we're what? What do we want to do? We want to install windows in the boat, and we want to grow higher. And the word grow is stylized with a little G and then capital R O W, you know, because we're still, we're still in line with the row the boat mentality. We're trying to, we're trying to see, we're we're talking about growing higher and seeing bamboo trees everywhere. We want to grow like bamboo. Bamboo grows fast. I can make boats out of bamboo. And that's why if you become a member of the PJ Fleck vacuum cleaner club, and you buy vacuums and you sell all your friends vacuums and they keep selling their friends vacuums. The more vacuums that are sold, the better off you're going to be. I just want to know if this means that uh, it, when you showed up, you were a piece of coal and now you've gotten you've turned into a diamond. I just want to know if that's been retired then because I saw it at Western Michigan twice and I've seen it at Minnesota a couple times. If the diamond speech is done, I'll jump on board into this bamboo era where we're building boats and installing windows and uh, and growing little G capital R O W. But if I see the diamond speech make a return, I mean it can only be it can only be at the show where he plays the first album in its entirety, right? Then I'll take it. Otherwise, well, you know, I want it put to the side. Chip, you know you know what pressure does to coal, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. It makes you turn you into diamonds. There was there was like a question at one of their media availabilities where like the reporter just asked, so tell me about your uh, this year's team slogan or whatever, which is, you know, typically a throwaway question with most coaches. But like <laughs> it was I, I saw the transcript and if I could find it right now, I would read the whole thing. But it, it's it's, you know, more specific version of what you just sort of generalized chip but it's it's kind of remarkable like pj fleck is absolutely one of a kind in terms of his commitment to slogans and mottos and this one takes this one kind of jumps the shark so every year it's got that's that like that should be an unveiling that we should add to the podcast 
just a, a, a staple annual tradition of the Minnesota yearly slogan and PJ Flex explanation to it. Yeah, when at the beginning of spring practice every year, we will be anti- we will be waiting uh, with bated breath, anticipating the reveal of the new Minnesota football, uh, the new Minnesota football slogan. I like it. I found the I found the transcript. It's I mean, it, I, I could read it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I don't know. All right. The question is, what's the mantra going to be for 2020? That pretty simple enough question. Black. There's a few, <laughs> but this year's is grow, G, lowercase g, capital R, capital O, capital W, higher. We're talking bamboo, which I've used in the past. When you talk about bamboo, it takes three years to build underground before it actually shoots up to the top. So when you're talking about year four, that's when you should see it shoot 90 to 100 feet in the air. We have the ability to do whatever we want to be able to do. Whatever we're going to do, we have to pay the price for so we talked about this grow higher using the bamboo tree. And you'll be able to see bamboo trees everywhere. And then we talked about building the house. And this year for us, we're installing the windows. It's amazing, amazing because before our team meeting in January, players came in and asked me, Coach, we've been taking bets, talking about it to each other about what you're actually going to have to build in a house, about what you're actually going to have a built in-house. I don't know, that's a typo or something. So it matters to me because we're actually talking about it. But it's the window part. Why the windows? Because now the framework's up. So we're installing these windows. And the wonderful thing about windows is you can look out and see whatever you want to see. You can notice the birds, the sun, the clouds, the sky. But you can see whatever you decide to see. However different from last year, which we didn't have any windows. We were picked six in the West. That probably won't happen this year. So now we have windows that the outside world wants to peek in and see and study and know what we're doing inside our house. What's the mantra going to be for 2020? That's the, that's the answer. He's he lost me on the window stuff. The bamboo stuff, I follow him. The window stuff, I'm not sure I follow. I, I like that we're growing bamboo to build boats and for more rowing. Bamboo for our boats <laughs> and our window and our and our previously windowless houses that we've not had mm-hmm. windows for. Mm. Amazing stuff as always, and thank you to our uh, growing audience in uh, the minnesota elementary school scene uh shout out to you all right one more question then we'll get to the book club uh this one's from neo 1129 love hearing your opinions on new head coaching hires but can y'all do a pod ranking assistant coaching hires i know there are too many but at least who you do who you think will be the most impactful assistant coaches hired So, that's going to be a Barton-heavy episode. Yeah, we're, we're not going to do a whole episode on the assistant oh, coaching episode, No, but I'll answer the question. Right. Um, obviously, what kind of podcast is this? This is a, this is a, this is a Georgia podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I We've talked about this before, so I don't have to dig too much into this, but I think that Todd Mockin is probably a pretty good offensive coordinator hire, and I think that Buster Faulkner as an, as an analyst – is is a pretty valuable hire. So I think I think that that if those guys can really modernize Georgia, shake things up, that could be. I mean, if Georgia going to Georgia could win a national championship, and if they do, that would be a big part of it. Um, I think Oregon hiring Joe Moorhead is a big deal. Um, I mean, that's their offense was was not really 
all that inspiring um, under uh, Mar. What's what's my guy's name? Uh, Bronson Arroyo. Marcus Marcus Arroyo's a pitcher. <laughs> I do say I, one of my favorite things from the combine and just like reading reports for Justin Herbert's workouts is all the NFL coaches and like scouts were like, "Oh no, he's got plenty of talent. He just you know he was he was kind of stuck in a boring ass offense, right?" <laughs> like, how would that make you feel if you're an offensive coordinator and you just produce like like you know. Big moment in your career, like big resume bullet point. You're going to have a first-round NFL draft pick on your resume. Maybe even get to sit in the green room. And yet every soundbite about Justin Herbert's struggles are like you're, you're, you're the reason. Like, <laughs> oh, it was just the offense. Um, so I think Joe Moorhead, like, yes, it wasn't – the things didn't work out great at Mississippi State, but he also inherited quarterbacks that were not his style of quarterback. Uh, he had a roster that wasn't great from a wide receiver spot. And I think, he, you know, think about what he did at Penn State. That was a total game changer. And, and everyone still, even the, you know, coaches with Joe Moorhead influences uh, are, are really highly regarded. Like, he's just a highly regarded coach from an offensive standpoint. So I think he's going to do really well at Oregon. Uh, I think uh, Kirk Sharaka at, at Penn State, is is a big hire for them maybe even an upgrade from ricky ronnie and uh and then i think michigan state hires scotty hazelton like that's a really a defensive coordinator i think that was a good hire and then chad morris at auburn we'll see i mean what do you guys think do you think chad morris is actually going to be given the like all the auburn guys around the program say that this is going to be he's going to give Chad Morris the reins like he's going to let Chad Morris develop the passing game and and develop a sort of a more evolved modernized passing offense than the old school Gus Malzahn stuff I, I feel like we've heard this story before yeah, with, with Chip Lindsay <laughs> yes but I don't know maybe yeah. maybe this is the time that Chad Morris actually helps Auburn's passing attack so that's this is very much I'll believe it when I see it because like yeah. you said we, we've heard it like numerous times with Gus. He's finally handed over the keys. And then as soon as they have a bad game, he's taking the keys back. Yeah. Aren't they both from like the same Arkansas high school football family? Uh, Chad Morris is East Texas high school football, uh, but they, Chad Morris was, was he was, at Springdale uh, for a hot minute? Well, he was at Tulsa as the offensive coordinator. And so, and so was, Gus Malzahn, right? Am I saying that right? Wasn't mm -hmm. Gus Malzahn at Tulsa? I'll double check. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Let's see, Gus. Yeah, Gus, he was. Gus. Yeah. yeah, so he was. I think they were just both OCs at Tulsa at different times. Okay. All right. Got it. Because I was going to say, if they were both from uh, the same sort of like high school family, I was going to assume. I was going to guess, not assume, but I was going to guess that in the same way that when you get back together, uh, with your family, sometimes you just fall back into old rhythms, right? I was just like, uh-oh, couple, couple old high school buddies. You're talking about modernizing the offense? Nah, man, we're going to take this back to like 2004, the high school level. We're, we're going to go real old school. I, I, I tend to lean more in terms of the entire uh, sort of assistant coaching carousel and the way that um, the way that some of the pieces moved around. I agree with you that the Georgia – 
the Georgia offense, the potential for a, um, the potential for a Georgia offensive uh, evolution is more intriguing to me and more likely than us seeing anything wildly different from Auburn. I think that the pressure on Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn is higher because it's going to be tough for me to expect, even as Auburn has recruited so, so well, um, and it, it isn't Big Cat Bryant back for another year. Yeah. They lost yeah. Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, but they get Big Cat Bryant back. And they've recruited well, but, man, that Tigers team has really been powered by its defense for the last two seasons. And so the offense has been able to, like, you know, kind of have these – um, you know, these these sort of piece it together gimmick putt putt offense kind of performances and still be competitive in games, still be able to win some games. I think that the spotlight will be more so on Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn even more than it has in these last couple years because I think they're going to have to score some points to win ball games, and it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, how it works out. I mean the 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 pa- like. It doesn't have to. He doesn't have to totally like shake up the whole offense. He just has to like bring their passing game into the the new millennium. Like it that that pass game is so clunky, so limited. So it's just all play action shots and schemed receivers. There's no flow to it. So just deliver some flow to that passing game, and I think you've done a lot. All right. Uh, let me get, let me let me warm up the choir. Tom, are you about ready? Yup. All right. So the Cover Three Book Club. Since we're friends, you know, the three of us are friends. All of of the, our listeners are our friends as well. This is the off season. This is reading season because otherwise, all we're doing is watching football in our spare time. So it's good to have recommendations from our friends. All right, Tom. All right. Well, Barton broke the football book seal last week. I'm I'm diving in with my 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 football book this week. Uh, one of the bigger stories of all college football season in 2019 was clearly LSU. It was you know, and Ed Orgeron became a name that you know is more well known around college football, even for casual fans, as he was you know the head coach at LSU. They won a national title. You know, he's he's a character. He's got the crazy voice, but. Well, like people like us have known about Orgeron for years, when I really became familiar with him was in 2009. I bought a book written by our former CBS sports colleague, now writing for The Athletic, but he was writing at ESPN at the time, Bruce Feldman, called Meat Market, Inside the Smash Mouth World of College Football Recruiting. And what Bruce basically did was this was when Orgeron had his first head coaching opportunity in the SEC West at Ole Miss, which did not go well. And it was one of the reasons why he was like USC was hesitant to hire him after he did a good job of being the interim there. And it was one of the reasons why a lot of LSU fans were kind of hesitant about hiring him at LSU, despite what he was able to do as an interim there. But Feldman was behind the scenes pretty much for an entire season with Orgeron and that entire Ole Miss staff as they were recruiting their class for that season. And there are a lot of names in this book that you're going to remember. There are coaches on that staff that have gone on to be head coaches elsewhere, like Frank Wilson was one of his recruiting coordinators at Ole Miss. He was just recently the head coach at UTSA. 
And it's just a very it was the first time I had really delved into like I knew what recruiting was and I clearly I followed it, but I was never really that deep into it. And this book was my first real glance behind, you know, closed doors at how it works and how staffs work. Now, that said, it's not like this is an expose. There's they're not going deep into like the bagman stuff here within this book. It's still pretty polished. It's just it's the it's where I first discovered Ed Orgeron. It's where I first realized I really like this Ed Orgeron guy, even though I had never heard him speak at that point. And that just kind of drove it, drove it home even further. But it's just a if you haven't read it and you are a college football fan, it is a fascinating book. And if if you want to know more about recruiting, it's an even more you know it's it's more useful there. But you you don't have to really care about recruiting to think that this is a fun, interesting book. It's not super long. It's like three hundred something pages, but. It's it's just a really good book that I think every college football fan should read. And even though it's been out for over a decade, I still think that a lot of what's in it is very much relevant to today. I've never read it. I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't. Um, I'm surprised you haven't read it. Yeah, I know. It's uh, obviously a it's it's sort of a football classic. It's almost like must a must read book. I feel like for most football fans and uh, but i've i've never read it and i kind of need to is it still do you think it's still uh how much of, do you th- of it do you think is outdated i think a lot of, of sort of like the process of the recruit you know recruiting i would say the met a lot of the methods are outdated simply because this was before like you know 24 7 sports and the rivals and all those kind of things became like the big businesses that they are now yeah. where everybody's kind of aware and there are all these camps this was still a little bit in the dark ages of you know, you're you're kind of still finding guys on your own. Like the coaches and staff still do that now, but it's just you had to dig a little deeper, kind of work the bushes a little harder to find guys. But I think that what you see is this is kind of like the precipice because Orgeron was one of those coaches who kind of started. I don't want to say started, but he was you know he was a big recruiter for you know when he was at Miami after yeah. you know when he was a coach on those Miami staffs when he was a coach you know he was like that's what he was hired to do. He was a recruiter. So he was one of those guys that I think we saw at the forefront of programs hiring recruiters with the specific goal being get us the talent and that will get us the wins that we seek. So this is kind of you see Orgeron's first attempt at this and, you know, as you're reading along, you kind of see what's working and what didn't work. And you can just kind of figure out what Orgeron himself learned from his mistakes at Ole Miss when he took the LSU job, kind of figuring out what he needs to do to make it work. And I don't, you know, he was holding up a trophy. Clearly, it worked. Do you think that the, uh, you think the title meat market would make it through a publisher in these uh, players' rights sensitive days no. of 2020? No. Yeah. But isn't that the whole point of the title is sort of like to to be a critic, like as a criticism, but then also yeah, as a shine a spotlight right, thing. Sort of, yeah, like a this is kind of the reality of what it is, like it or not. Yeah, um, I haven't read it either. Wow, you guys both need to read it. Yeah, I do. Maybe, maybe I mean, I, you'll you'll both really enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I would imagine it's a pretty easy read too. Yeah. I've got some travel coming up, and I think it's on the bookshelf somewhere. I'm looking at the bookshelf. I've also got the. I'm looking at it on my bookshelf right now. Okay, well, I'll. Uh, I've, I've got a good reading assignment, and so do uh, so do all of our, uh, so do so do all of our awesome listeners. The book. So club, does that nine year old in Minnesota? So does. <laughs> I bet actually he would tear through Meat Market, and do a book report on it. 
all for sharing time yeah there you go uh remember if you want to get in a suggestion for the book club a comment for the book club or if you want to get in a question for the mailbags you can do so by going to the cover three podcast page leave a five-star review leave your question in there it will get added to the mailbag it will get read on a future uh podcast um real quick oompa loompa dog uh, said Chip Barton Tom love the podcast always something I look forward to every week gotta say it was an interesting day at work while I had the cover three book club jingle stuck in my head while picturing Oompa Loompas dancing around all day since y'all are a dog's podcast now you need to recommend some Dooley's dogs or a letter for Larry to the club most importantly for Chip how do you like your Snoopy's hot dogs assuming your time in Chapel Hill for undergrad didn't turn you vegan and you only prefer tofu dogs now go dogs um, I like them with chili, mustard, and slaw. That's how I like them at Snoopy's. Snoopy's is the go, for sure. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow me, at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Welcome to the Nothing Personal with David Sampson podcast. Do me a favor and blink, please. Did you blink? That's how fast the Major League Baseball season went in 2020. The postseason is already upon us. Whether it's baseball news, you want NFL, college football, water polo, chess, movies. If there's a story, we'll have it covered every weekday, five days a week. Just subscribe and download on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever else you find your podcasts. No BS, no soft tosses, no hot takes. You know, it's always business. It's nothing personal.